Something you probably do know. Progressive can not only offer you a great price when you bundle home and auto, they offer you round-the-clock protection. Something you probably don't know, the average oak tree branch can hold 70 pounds. Something you probably do know, your neighbor is building their kid a treehouse. Something you probably don't know, a falling treehouse would take out your whole fence. Bundle your home and auto with Progressive and get more than a great price. Get round-the-clock protection. Something you know for the things you don't know. Coverage from Progressive Casualty Insurance Company, affiliates, and third-party insurers and subject to policy terms. Bundle discount not available in all states or situations. Hello, 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 and welcome to Fear It Goes. Today, we have Chad Ford with us. He is a veteran for the Canadian Forces. He served a tour of duty in Afghanistan in 2006, and he is the president of Senexo, which is a stakeholder information management company he founded. And he's written a ton of white papers and articles and spoken on conferences on this subject. He is definitely an expert in his field. He is the president chapter of Startup Grind here in Calgary, which is an entrepreneurial platform. And honestly, I'm really excited to bring forth his really positive perspective on business and life and Without further ado, welcome Chad Ford. Welcome to Fear It Goes, the podcast all about taking your fears with you and doing it anyway. I'm your host, Randy Taylor. I'm so excited to have you here. Thanks. I'm happy to be here this afternoon. Excellent. Um, so we've had the opportunity to have many conversations around life, philosophies, business. And um, I think I'd like to start with a little background on, actually, there's a lot of things I'd like to start with. So um, we'll start with the background on you, what you do right now. Um, sure. So I wear um, a couple hats. So my primary uh, role is I uh, run a software company called Snexo Solutions. And we have a cloud-based software called Iris. And that software is used by organizations to manage their stakeholder engagement around projects. So the easiest way to think about it is if you have think about pipeline or a large um, wind turbine plant or road that's being built, all the people that are directly impacted by the, that project, um, our software is used by the companies or, or organizations to uh, manage those relationships. Excellent. That's actually a really good explanation. I was literally having a conversation with someone last night trying to explain this, and I'm like, I don't really understand that fully. Yeah, it's a little niche. Um, I think it's pretty important work that we do, but it's definitely kind of niche. And, you know, even the term stakeholder, it'll be like, if I'm talking to someone in finance, in uh, the financial industry, it'll be a totally different uh, discussion. <laughs> and probably different terminology. Yeah, because I mean, they use the term stakeholder all the time too. And, you know, for us, it means uh, individual or group that's directly impacted by a project and you know, financial stakeholders, anyone with a vested interest or right. in an organization. So yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking <laughs> comes from the finance background. So funny. Um, your trip to Afghanistan, hmm. we discussed uh, like your time in the military and what that was like. I kind of want to touch on that a little bit. Um, but I'd also like to talk about 
What were some of the struggles you found as a kid? Because with you, you have such an incredibly positive outlook on life as a, as a whole. So you approach things from a very different perspective. And I think that there is a lot to be learned and gleaned from, from the way that you see the world. So I kind of like to approach it from a few different places. I'm guessing part of that may have been parental influence and how that carried out as an adult and into your time in the military and into your time um, since then and through business. Well, thank you. Um, <laughs> I, I was actually so enamored by the compliment. I lost what the question was again. <laughs> um, so, so we were talking about... Uh, in my childhood was yeah so parents well i'm just thinking that you must have had some pretty good influences yeah to kind of create that mindset um yeah i mean i think my parents were uh very um positive influence on me obviously um i also was close to my grandparents on my uh, mom's side they always grew um lived close to us as i grew up so uh I kind of had the benefit of a second set of parents who never have to discipline you, just tell you how awesome you are. And, um, <laughs> Something to be said about that. <laughs> yeah. Um, nothing. My parents weren't really positive themselves, but uh, um, yeah. I, I, and then obviously um, I have a brother, a younger brother. And uh, um, I don't think we've ever talked about that. <laughs> yeah. My younger brother. Um, yes. He's just finishing right now his uh, PhD in military history, Canadian military history. So, wow. Yeah. And he lives out in Vancouver with his uh, girlfriend. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I think I had a pretty um, uh, strong support network with my family. But I mean, um, it's funny that you say I'm very positive. I take that as a big compliment. Um, sometimes I don't always feel that way. And certainly, different times. Uh, that's not always the case, but, uh, I do think that I had instilled in me a sense of, um, um, individual self for lack of a word, self-worth, like yeah. a little bit less concern about externally what people think. I think um, that's not, actually a key. Yeah. Not, not that I don't care at all, but I do think I, I certainly have less care in the older I get, certainly the less I care what certain people think. <laughs> um, and, you know, the more I maybe value certain people's uh, feedback. It's very interesting that you say that because there are three pillars by which we base our confidence and go out into the world and do things. And one of them is worthiness and one of them is feeling loved and one of them is feeling like we're enough. Mm. So those are those are key points and you just literally said one of them. <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, I think, uh, my family was always stressed, you know, was always a fairly tight family and emphasized idea. You know, I, my parents are probably like your typical baby boomers, like always complimented me, Chad, you can be the president you know, or prime minister if you want to be kind of thing. But, uh, <laughs> Is that really how baby boomers were? Because I don't think so. Well, the stereotype, you know, the stereotype that, that I maybe I'm overgeneralizing, overgeneralizing, but certainly my parents were very positive towards me. I I think you were blessed with really great parents in that respect. I agree. Um, Love you, mom. 
<laughs> I hope she listens. Yeah. <laughs> Sending out some love. That and and I'm just gonna go back to the comment you made about the way that the truths that we take from other people. So what other people say or think about us and how mm -hmm. that affects us. You I mean said from a oh, young age that you didn't really take that in? Oh no, no. I mean totally. I mean peer pressure and like, you know, growing up and you think the world's the size of your classroom. And <laughs> uh mm -hmm. that can be pretty daunting. And um but I think regardless of that, I had a strong sense of uh self-worth that was uh that I had through um probably the support at home, um, probably individual accomplishments. Um Friends, I don't, I'm not, this is, a, I'm kind of thinking off the top of my head right now. Yeah. But um, certainly the older I, I've gotten in to, uh, especially, you know, you go to high school and you keep seeing the world's bigger than that. Um, I, I think I am probably, a lot of people you talk to me saying that I've got pretty tough skin as far as um, caring what some people think. And I think that's probably accurate. Sometimes to my detriment that I probably benefit more by learning from people. You know, I, I was joking <laughs> someone the other day. I'm like, okay, guaranteed I'm not going to learn it until I get burned by it at least once or twice. So <laughs> I, wish I, could, I wish I could just read the book and appreciate the message instead of having to burn myself on the stove every time. But Yes, but we learn through the pain. <laughs> well, certainly I have. It's an unfortunate, oh, I think that's human nature. I think that's human nature. Um, so let's kind of go into your time as uh in the military yeah and you were the first unit and uh, forgive me i can't remember what the unit was because it was the first time canadians went out as non-peacekeepers right um i mean we had been before um you know certainly throughout our history there's been multiple times canadians deployed in a non-peacekeeping um way um, korea um and even in Afghanistan, previously, there had been a combat mission. But in 2006, there was a relaunched larger NATO initiative that fell under um, Operation Enduring Freedom, was the start of it, and then transitioned to, uh, I believe it was Op, Op Archer at the time, which would be a NATO contingent. So if we think about that time period, it was essentially just the Americans in Afghanistan. There, there was some other contingents, but really they were the ones that were running the show. And in 2006, uh, Canada took over as the first uh, NATO country to have a, I guess it's not even totally true, but as part of this larger mission, Canada was running the first mechanized battalion in the Kandahar region. And that was an attempt to uh, be more aggressive and assertive uh, uh, against the Taliban at the time. And so we were the first the first group of Canadians deployed as far, to, as, far as that new mission. Hmm. Interesting. When we had discussed too, uh, or had discussed Afghanistan, I just thought that must be such a fearful moment or many, many moments in your life. But that time in your life must have been so fearful because there's gunfire all around you and there's war and, and you just had a very different perspective. Do you want to describe that? Well, I mean, first I'll say is you know, it, there's a spectrum, right, of like what people experienced and stuff. And um, certainly um, some people uh, saw much more um, traumatic um, events than myself. 
Um, well, I was in, um, but, but for me, what I took out of the, my time in Afghanistan was very positive. Um, I really enjoyed working with a lot of different countries, a lot of different soldiers, all working towards the same objective. I mean, that was a really neat experience to have. Um, I enjoyed visiting this, you know, a foreign country like Afghanistan, seeing something totally different, um, you know, interacting even with, obviously we were deployed often with um, the Afghan National uh, Army and other uh, groups there. Um, and I also, you know, had a strong sense of accomplishment. So when I came home, for example, um, especially because we were so early in for the Canadians, you know, there's a lot of enthusiasm when I came back and there was so much support um, when I came back that it felt that, you know, I've got these big shoes I have to live up to afterwards. And I think that's um, been a very motivating factor for me too. That's kind of driven you on the business side of your life or what, what in which way? Uh, <clears throat> or maybe yeah, in uh, all? <laughs> professionally, personally, probably more professionally. Um, but just feeling that, you know, um, a lot of people really, I received a lot of accolades when I returned and I felt like I had to live up to that, to that standard. I think this is kind of um, an interesting discussion we had also. Oh my goodness. Uh, when we were talking about your trip, after you came back and you started Synexus, Synexo, sorry, Synexo, oh, yeah. um, you said that you'd kind of envisioned it one way and felt like it wasn't really all it could be and then went to the States in, I want to say it was like an incubation type program. Yeah. So, I mean, it wasn't so much that we had, you know, we have a certain, not well. In the case of our company, um, we started off one way and we kind of, we listened to what the client said and our companies are transitioning. Um, and increasingly, you know, from a software perspective, I don't want to get bore people with the details, but software is often split into more um, kind of two categories sometimes. Is it a customizable software or is it an off the shelf solution? Um, we started doing more and more customization for clients because that's what they were asking for and that's what we're getting us the uh, contracts. Um, but that really put us into a big um, kind of Gordian's knot we were in for a while that every client we had had a slightly different version of the software. And so it was a real challenge to maintain. Um, so, and then at the same time, you know, we were heavily based in the oil and gas industry in Western Canada. And that was collapsing in 2015 and 2016. Absolutely. And so projects were drying up and, you know, our clientele was shrinking, our revenue was shrinking. Um, it was actually pretty stressful. I remember being in Poland, I think it was September 2015. Um, I was in Poland on a vacation uh, with my girlfriend at the time. And I think I lost like two or three of our top five major clients while I was there. <laughs> That's and frightful. I, <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, what is happening? Um, as at the same time, we had just hired someone while I was there too. Um, so there was a lot going on and, um, a friend of mine who I had deployed to Afghanistan with, um, she approached me and she said, you know, I just came back from a few, um, initi initiatives for, uh, military personnel on transitioning to civilian life in America, in uh, the States. 
and they were phenomenal. And I really feel like I'd love to see if there was an opportunity to help bring more Canadians down for these um, programs. I just thought I'd pick your brain. You're an entrepreneur. I've been kind of following a little bit what you've been doing with Snexo. Maybe you might have um, some idea on how we could, you know, brainstorm around doing that. And so we were chatting and one of the um, um, programs that she'd been down uh, in the U.S. for was out of a group called the Atlantic Council in Washington, D.C. Uh, they're an organization that promotes multilateral engagement amongst countries. Yeah. I'm probably butchering that exact vision, but that's <laughs> the, the general idea. And um, they ran a program called the Take Point uh, Leadership. Take Point. Take Point something. Um, and it was sponsored by the Bob Woodworth, Wood, Woodworth Foundation and a few others. And the idea was to take veterans that were transitioning to the civilian world and help them launch nonprofits. And it was, I believe, a two-week program. And yeah, if I, if I could identify times that I felt were really important in my life or maybe had like a, a defining moment, that time period was uh, definitely one of them. Um, they invited wow. me down as the first Canadian to attend the whole um, program. Now, I wasn't an official um, fellow as part of that fellowship program. I was an observer, but I still got to do everything with everyone. Um, first non-American to do that. And it was um, an amazing time. Um, the people, the caliber of the individuals who were taking the program with me, there was about, I'm guessing, like 15 of us. And the caliber of the people we were introduced over that time period, um, I've never experienced anything like that before or after. And I, I still, I follow the success of some of the people <clears throat> who were on the course with me and it's, you know, still pretty, uh, still very impressive. And it was, uh, and, and so when I came back and a lot of what they were emphasizing throughout this was success doesn't come out of thinner strategy matters. Think about what you're trying to do, figure out what it's going to take to implement that. It's okay if you change it going down that road, but you need to have a basic strategy you're basing on. That's what their strong message message was. And when I left after that two weeks, I wrote a revised strategy document for our uh, company, Snexo. And it's not like it was purely my idea. I mean, these are ideas I've been chatting about, especially with my one business partner, Ian, for a long time. But it was about trend, get, get, cutting through that Gordian's knot, moving past all these customized options, and you know, understanding that we knew what we were doing. We had a great program taking the lessons learned from all those custom um, custom developments and putting it onto a single platform and, uh, and, and making a platform that was ready to go that organizations could start using on their own without any support from us really at all needed. And so after that, it, you know, we implemented uh, that change. It took a lot longer than we thought it would. It was about 18 months essentially from that time until we launched version 2.0. And I would say even probably a couple months after that till it was really a, um, uh, really was an execution of the vision that we had. Um, and, and that's something I, was, I, I am very proud of too because there's not many projects I've been involved in that are 18 to 20 months in nature and required us staying committed to that vision throughout it um, despite the fact that it was a real challenge as we were doing that. Um, 
we had clients who had an expectation before that we were going to do customization and we weren't, weren't willing to do that. And uh, it's hard to do business development during that time period because you're, you don't want to sell your previous version of the software. The new version's not ready yet. Um, so it was definitely a challenging time period, but you know, we did pull it off and I think as an organization, you know, well, we're a hundred percent more stronger than we were at, at the time before because we were, we, we just weren't sustainable in the current method we were. Um, and I'm, uh, yeah. And long story short, it was an amazing program and, uh, <laughs> it, it, I'm very proud of, uh, the result of it. So through the program, you found a way that was going to serve your clients better and, yeah. and decided to move it to a one platform kind of system. Yeah, exactly. And, and to me, it really came from like focusing on the strategy, which is what they were t teaching us there. Um, uh, and you know, it, it was interesting because they were, we were meeting with these really high level people. Like for example, John Huntsman, former ambassador to China, former presidential candidate in the U S and it seemed to be a consistent thing that all of them were promoting was the idea of think about where you're going and plan it out and plan Don't backwards. Just, Start yeah. with the end game. Yeah. Yeah. Figure out what you're trying to do, plan it back. And it's okay if you change it, but that, that mental exercise of trying to figure it out is really going to flush things out and make a better, allow you to be um, better able to execute what you're trying to do. Starting at the end point is an excellent way to go and work your way backwards. And then you have your roadmap and you alter if you need to, but you have your direction. Yeah, exactly. So how did you find like, okay, so you built this strategy. It was completely different than what you've been doing. Um, you had a lot of pushback from some of your clients and how did you kind of man those waters when there was a lot of doubt? Was there any doubt as to this is, this is the right course? Um, <clears throat> so the two main business partners, myself and Ian, I don't think we had any doubt. Um, we had doubt on maybe if we were executing it properly, but we never had any doubt that this was the way we needed to go. I mean, I'm speaking for him, but yeah. I think we both felt pretty strongly on it. Um, most of our existing clients um, were honestly fine with it. We didn't have many issues with our existing clients. Um, sometimes there was pushback that we'd have where people would say, you know, they were used to us being more, or maybe the term is less strategic where, you know, they would say, Hey, we want this upgrade and we would just do that change. And now we were much more, no, this is the product we have to have and we have to be disciplined on how we're developing it. Um, we're aiming towards a single platform and we can't be deviated with these um, other options that don't lead directly lead to that um, uh, new program. It's interesting that you say Probably that. Probably the bigger challenge we had was with new business. And it's one, you know, I'll be frank, we still often are challenged with, um, we are a B2B company. We yep. sell to large organizations. Um, we have a couple smaller clients, but for the most part, the type of projects that are using our software, oil and gas, renewable energy, infrastructure, waste management, those are big projects, hundreds of millions of dollars. And so they have a specific type of organization that um, implements those projects. And we've often, um, you know, we, we're trying to approach it in a different way where we're saying, yes, 
you know, you're used to a six to 18 month sales cycle. You have an RFP a request for proposal. Um, you want a large implementation. You want all of this stuff to happen. Um, and you often want to do that because you think it de-risks it, but you know what also de-risks it? Just trying our software. And so we're going to just have our software work, do what it needs. You know, it'll do 80% of what you need to do. Perhaps your company has a specific process where you want a yellow button here and that's fine, but our software will achieve what you need to do without that yellow button. So if you want to just try our software out now and then scale it up, that's what we are really pushing. And I do believe that's the future of IT. You know, previously in the IT industry for uh, corporations, um, <clears throat> a lot of IT personnel, I think, were more technologists. So they like technology. So they want to create things. So, they, so rather than getting a ready-to-made solution, yeah, they'd rather go get a generic platform. And, you know, everyone's got a SharePoint site, um, probably... 90% of them aren't being used that was customized by it and deployed. Um, because then they get to say, well, we're doing exactly what the business needs. Right. Um, I don't think that's the future of it. You know, I'm holding an iPhone here and that disrupted that because yep. when people are on the personal side, they don't want exactly customized. I mean, they didn't even think it. you could, you could ask someone, tell me your business requirements for email. What do you want your email to do? Well, one, I would question, do they fully know the implication of what they're saying as far as what they want for an email? And two, do they really care or are they just happy to start using Gmail or Outlook? Right. And in a similar process, I think that's where it's going with all of IT is there's an expectation that we as technology companies provide solutions that just work and there's going to be less implementation. And so that's a transition for IT of moving away from a focus on customized implementations to more managing contracts with different technology companies. Which again, leads back to the better service to the client. I, yeah, and I strongly believe that, that you know, just pick a product that works like your iPhone and you know, we've built our whole pivot around um, a product and a pricing model that is scalable within your organization. Okay, so we're talking about the iPhone. Um, my, my iPhone platform is the same as yours, except I have different apps to meet, meet the needs that I have in comparison to you, right? So as long as those things are available out there, um, the platform itself should be standardized or would make things easier. I mean, I think that's a great point. You know, our software doesn't do everything for everyone. And I think that's another thing that has often gotten corporate IT in a challenge is they try to create a solution that does everything for everyone. We do one thing really well. And, it, you know, how that is going to link in with other programs that are there. Mm -hmm. um, we give some help on that. But yeah, that's definitely the role of IT to say, we have all these different products. How do we make them work um, um, together? Do we have, a, do we have for example, a, we support an iPad. We support iPad uh, use. So if they have an iPad, they're going to know they're more compatible with us. Chad, what motivates you to be so great at what you do? <laughs> <laughs> I'm blushing. Um, <laughs> You don't blush. <laughs> uh, my whole head turns red. <laughs> like, um, well, thank you. I mean, one, um, I don't know if I, I think it's a hard one to respond to because I'm not really sure if I do everything great. <laughs> but uh, um, You're it, passionate about the things in your life. You seem to take on things that are um, 
strong interests and that you're passionate about it and you don't tend to take on things that are not. Um, Startup Grind is one of those examples. I've seen you at the events and you give all. Like when you go into something, you give it all. You give all of you. Yeah, I mean, I'm, it's a good point. <laughs> yeah, I, I am pretty passionate towards just about everything I'm involved in. Um, so how do yeah. you say no to the things you're not interested in? Lots of people have problems saying no. They can say yes to everything <laughs> or they say yes to all the wrong things. So you seem to say yes to the things that are really important to you. How do you say no to the things that you, you just don't align with? <laughs> well, some people say I don't say no enough. Um, <laughs> I certainly, my last girlfriend would say that, that I'm <laughs> many things. Um, you know, I, I don't think I get offered a lot of things I'm not passionate about. Hmm. Uh, and, and I, like, I haven't fully thought this through, but I think about often, like when I'm talking to someone, I have the worst poker face people know what I'm thinking. And like, it'll be funny. Cause I'll think I'm like, yeah, I kept my cards close to my chest. <laughs> and everyone's like, dude, we like ever can so tell you're pissed off. Like, what are you talking <laughs> about? I'm like what? And, and so I think that, you know, that'll naturally gravitate me towards things that I'm more interested in because if so, if I'm being approached about something I'm not interested in, it's probably despite my best efforts at being polite, like visible. Um, but I just don't get offered it that much. It's pretty apparent. That's funny. I, I just didn't, I didn't see that on, well, I, I have seen that you're pretty transparent when it comes to the way that your body reacts to different discussions. Um, like what? You kind of have little, you were saying that you can read it all over your face. It's very true. So when there's something that we've discussed in the past that perplexes you or that you don't agree with, um, it tends to show. <laughs> yeah. It tends to show. That's interesting that that's actually been your easy meter to say no. People just go, oh, okay, Good well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> um, and and uh, well, another thing is, though, you know, Startup Grind um, and Synexo and other things like that are often things that um, I've worked at creating myself. Um, so maybe I just don't get offered things very often and I just have to create it myself too. I'm <laughs> just thinking out loud. <laughs> Self-discovery. <laughs> yeah. Don't have to say no because I don't get offered ever. <laughs> I, it's just what comes at you. Um, so think of one moment in your life that you thought you'd fail and what was that like and how did you come out of that? What was the experience like and how did you come out of it? Um, one time that I thought I failed or one time that I did fail? You could give either or both. It's up well, to you. There's <laughs> lots of times I failed so that I can, it's a pretty easy thing to pick from. Okay. Um, <laughs> you know, one example of a big failure when it comes to my company is uh, I had, an, I had a, a member of our team a little while ago who... Yeah. So when you're in like a, on, as an entrepreneur and I, I'm trying to get out of this, but you're often in this sense of scarcity, like this scarcity about what you have. It's always a crisis. You know, you, there's always a risk that's around the corner and it's sometimes easy to not deal with the issues immediately. Be, you know, some issues that are appearing and just prioritize the big issues. 
And the problem when you only prioritize the big issues is sometimes the little issues become big issues because you didn't give them any attention. Right. And one really good example that, you know, I still remember is I had something that was working for us and they, they weren't really happy with the role anymore. Um, they didn't always articulate it the best and uh, you know, it's not complete. You know, I, I think that's one thing that probably, um, uh, led to my, how I acted on it, but they felt a large sense of like personal loyalty to me. I think that they had okay. a personal loyalty to me and often not that I was being nefarious, but I would just like be like, Hey man, like we can't afford to have you leave right now. We really need you to stay here. Can you please help us out? And you know, it was kind of that conversation that kept going on and on and on for a while. And for me, I'd be like, okay, it's handled. Like he's back on, he's back in the game. Um, but he wasn't, he didn't really want to be there. And it, it almost sank the company. Um, basically when he left, it was, uh, he left a huge mess that almost sank our company and we had to frantically work to recover from. And, uh, that, that's a, that, that, that was, I have to own a lot of that because that person had come to me multiple times over the past year saying that they weren't really happy in the role. And then I would convince them to stay. And I should have immediately when they weren't happy in the role saying, Hey, you know, if I could do it again, what I would have said is fair enough. How do we help you transition out? Can you help us bring someone else in? And I should have done that right at the beginning because if they don't want to be there, why am I trying to convince them to be there? A place of abundance instead of a place of scarcity or lack. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> when there, we come from a place of abundance, there's always opportunity. There's always that next person that actually will fit that role exactly the way you need it. They're there. And let me be clear, as much as I want to be in that mindset of abundance, I'm not. Like, <laughs> like I, I, think, I think that there's the best is still ahead and I'm, um, um, I have a positive attitude. But I, I think that's something I'm still working on is, as an entrepreneur is, you know, thinking of that more of that mindset of abundance. Mindset of it. It's interesting that you said scarcity and lack. Because um, to me, that is the hustle. That's the life is tough. It's hard. Um, and when we come from abundance, everything just becomes a lot easier. So it's perspective for sure. And it's definitely something I look forward to seeing you build. <laughs> no. <laughs> I, I love that you said if I went back and I was to do that again, you would have come at it from the right place. That your perspective had already shifted and you knew what you needed to do. Allow that person to to transition out? I mean, it probably goes back to our conversation about I have to learn everything the hard way. <laughs> <laughs> it's the pain points, I'm telling you, it's a pain I have point. to almost sink the company before I <laughs> learn, but yeah. Oh, doesn't it feel like that with so many things in life though? Sometimes we just have to get lost to be found. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a, sounds like a pretty profound statement. Oh, it's so true in so many ways. Did other people doubt you? Did you, did you doubt yourself? Um, so on that, first of all, I certainly have a lot of self-doubt uh, at times. And that specific item, um, honestly, I was my harshest critic. <laughs> I'll say that because I think a lot of people were really angry at that individual. And because a lot of because he, I mean, he quit? Or because? No, because he, he's, you know, I, I won't get into the details, but basically yeah. screwed us when he left. Okay. <laughs> like he left a massive mess that almost sunk the company. 
Right. And, and uh, it wasn't just out of um, laziness. Like there was a nefarious nature to a lot of what he had done. And so people were really angry and I was really angry at him. I mean, we all were because, you know, it was borderline criminal what he did. But, you know, over time, I've been much more, I, I think, come around to, you know, that blaming myself more for that, where, you know, that individual wanted to go a year ago. And out of personal loyalty, I kept him there. And he started to resent me and the organization because of that, because he couldn't say no to us because of that sense of loyalty. And it kind of warped into a uh, resentment of us. Resentment. That sounds like so many marriages. Did I just say that out loud? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, relationships are relationships. And uh, yeah, um, that, that was, you know, and I still feel that probably on that, I think some people who are familiar with the situation are probably more anger, more seed as just that person was a bad person what they did. And I'm probably the most, uh, in the organization, I'm probably the most nuanced on that because I was the one who had those conversations with them. Like I was the one who had been chatting with them over and over again. Um, you know, I, I used to joke, it was kind of like, I, okay, you got to go pet a cat every so often. So it's like, I got to pet the cat, like calm him down, explain to him why we're here. And I should have been really listening a bit more to what he was saying and, you know, saying, okay, fair enough. You want to go just help us, you know, find the next person or transition to the next person. in. Yeah. It, I honestly think that's incredible that you've had that insight and that opportunity to really look back on that and own it. Um, I hear the word shame though, and I'm kind of sad that that's the way you approach that. Don't take shame from that. Just take the lesson from that um, because you know what you do next time, right? You're, yeah. I didn't realize I said that. I, yeah. Maybe it's not actually accurate because I don't feel that ashamed. I feel <laughs> like, I mean, I feel like I've messed up, but um I also feel like uh, I know we, ne we never messed up doing anything nefarious. Like right. I, I was never trying to do something um, wrong with him. Like, yeah, it doesn't sound like it. No. No, um, but there is such a gift we give others by listening to what they actually have to say and actually hearing it. <laughs> so there is such a great lesson in that and you took the lesson. So actually, lesson, actually listen. And I think the other lesson I took is don't try and convince someone to stay that doesn't want to be there. Like, yeah. If they want to move, help them move on and help, get them to help you bring someone else on. Like don't try and, uh, try and make a, as, and like you said, probably broader, make a relationship last longer than it's supposed to. Than it's supposed to. And that is a really great sign of a great leader is someone who recognizes that that person's time with that role is no longer um, beneficial and it's time to transition them in whatever way that means for that party well I think I definitely have learned from that and I think I'm a better leader because of that so yeah that's excellent I have a question for you sure. around um, business and money so <laughs> there are a lot of businesses out there that are very very profitable and yeah. that contribute back to the community and do a lot of things that kind of keep that um, loop of abundance going, right? Um, and then there are businesses that don't. And I, I find this quote by um, Henry Ford really fascinating. He said, bad business only makes money. So how do we contribute back to the world and how do we give back to the community or those around us or in what way? How do you do that? 
Um, well, <laughs> how do you do that as a person? Like, so maybe what? can I give like just my philosophical take on it? I don't sure. Know if I have <laughs> practical experience to say that. I mean, I mean, from a business standpoint, this nexo philanthropic side is not the biggest. Um, you may but, not be at that stage yet. But you may not be at that. I stage philosophically yet. think that a bit broader of society that sometimes we're too focused on the big picture when it comes to making the world a better place. Okay. And what I mean by that is I think that, you know, the first step to making the world a better place is focus on making yourself a better person. Yeah. The second step is making the people around you, you know, being a better person, the people around you. And you kind of expand that way. It's the ripple effect. And, and yeah. And I often hear people that are really trying to hold companies and let's be clear, like a company is not an entity. Like it's, just yeah. a group of people yeah. to this high standard. And I think that a company, if, if a company is simply running a business that's providing a service that people need, mm -hmm. that is creating a good work environment and livelihood to the people that are involved with it. So that's setting that's, already setting a standard to the community and the way that that company gives back. Please continue. Yeah. I think that's already pretty sufficient. You know, you throw in that they're paying taxes on top of that and contributing. I, I think that that is personally, you're already doing a good thing. You know, if you're, if you're a big company that is treating Serving. your staff like garbage, but you're giving money to um, right. the food bank, I'm not really sure if that's right. Like, I think it starts the inside and and that's not something that you just achieve. It's something that you're always aiming to maintain. So I think it starts that level. And then if it aligns with your business, because you have a fiduciary responsibility to the business and to all the people that are counting on that business to make sure it's a profitable, successful business. So if it makes business sense and it's um, areas that you're passionate about, or perhaps it's a employee retention program that areas that they're passionate about where you want to do extra, like go for it. But I, I, I don't feel that that should be the standard that's expected of organizations either. I think um, the way in which organizations contribute can be, doesn't have to be monetarily. So it could be <clears throat> mentorship programs. It could be sponsorship programs. It could be um, outreach to the community. It, it could be many different ways that we do this. And I, I agree that corporate culture is really important and something that is unfortunately lacking in many companies and certain industries <laughs> and some industry is evolving and some still sits in a very you are an employee I'm a manager and I'm going to tell you what to do and, and, and some people might like that like honestly like I, I feel like not everyone wants you know some people just want a simple job they right. don't their passion isn't their job. Their passion's at home, or maybe they don't have passion, but their passion's not their <laughs> I job. I hope they have a passion. <laughs> yeah, I mean, ideally, but not everyone does. I mean, um, but either way, they may not be passionate about their job. So, you know, that person should still have, you know, th there's lots of roles out there that are like, hey, we don't need, um, we don't need you to be creative. We don't need, we need you to do X, Y, Z a hundred times in this eight hours. Yeah. And just, you know, and if that, and that's, that's fair, as long as you're not being unethical about it, um, there are just jobs like that. And I, I, I do 
feel that often we have this expectation that's growing about companies that they're supposed to contribute larger back to their community. And I feel like if a company is a company in of itself is generally doing something good, you're providing a service that people want and are willing to pay for. Right. You're giving people livelihood who are working for your company. And if you're making it a healthy environment to work in, I don't feel that there's any obligation beyond that. But if they feel that it aligns with their um, personal and business needs, then yeah, sure. Go for it. Right. But yeah. Hmm. Who has been an important mentor for you in your life? (laughs) Um, That's probably something I've lacked and, you know, I could have used maybe at times, um, but there are people I've pulled from. So <laughs> one of the challenges, I, I, I'm not always very, I'm deferential often to authority in the broader sense, but not necessarily to individuals. And so I don't always like to have I have a real hard time listening sometimes to people that maybe have more experience than me if I don't fully believe in them. So I think that's probably driven off some of the opportunities for mentorship. But when I would think about some um, major, um, I guess, I mean, influencers, one um, would be my, uh, um, you know, one would mostly be my family. You know, my, my grandfather and I were very close and I had a, um, maybe not necessarily um, mentorship in the way of him telling me what to do, but um, aspiring to be the type of man that he was is something that has always um, has been a powerful driver for me. So he was um, an influencer to you. He was an influencer in the sense of, you know, he's probably, you know, um, one of the people I've respected. The, well, he is one of the people I've respected the most in my life. And um, was just a very respectable, impressive man that I always looked up to. And so less from a mentorship as far as, you know, directly giving me lessons and more from a sense of aspiring to, to, to be like that. Okay. What uh, was it about him that made him, like, what were you aspiring to be like? Was he really honorable? What, what was it about him? What was the characteristic? What was it that inspired you? I mean, family is wonderful and I, I, I understand that. Um, but what was it about him? That's a good question. Um, you know, you said the term honorable and I think yeah. that's a, definitely a major one. Um, I think he was, you know, I think he always was honorable in the sense of wanting to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. Um, And is that, yeah, I have to think about it more, but you know, I, he was the type of person that I feel that people naturally were deferential to. And I, you know, I think that's probably honorable and I'd have to think about this some more, but he was always just a presence in the room. Like it didn't matter. Like, and it's something, um, and it's probably about like his, um, you know, being a, being a man of substance and being honorable, uh, those things and probably more that I have to kind of ponder, but, um, Okay, so three books. What are your latest or greatest three books? If you had to list three books, and I have so many, I can't even list three, I don't yeah. think. Um, but three books that have really impacted you in a way that 
keeps you motivated, keeps you positive, keeps you moving in a direction closer to abundance. Is this <laughs> something like scarcity. books I've read recently or just in general? You could pick either. I, like I look back over the lifetime of, oh, wow, I've read so many books. <sighs> um, one of my favorite books on a business um, from a business platform would be Ask by Ryan Levesque. It's a fantastic mm-hmm. way to source out information about um, your market and who, how to, how to speak to your market and what people really need. I loved that book and it keeps it like business aligned with me from what's important to everybody else out there, like that I'm trying to serve. I want to make sure that I serve in the best way. So that book for me was really influential. Um, And then I look at Return to Love by Marianne Williamson, absolutely incredible book when it comes to spirituality and our um, viewpoint of the ego in comparison to higher state. So those are two books that were really, really profound and impactful for me. And one of them I read recently and one of them I read like probably five years ago. Yeah, those sound like actually maybe I'll have to check out those books. Um, (laughs) for, For me... So first, <laughs> I love books, but I will admit my reading habits have changed in the last few years. Um, I'm much more about fiction now. Like I, I don't know. <laughs> I, just, I feel like if I'm going to sit down and read it, it's got to compete with Netflix. So it's got to be pretty like compelling. Um, yeah. That I do like self-help and business um, content. I just probably um, consume it more through um, podcasts and uh, reading on the internet than anything else. Um, so if I, so I might split it out that way. Influential books for me, um, or a podcast, who are you listening to? Uh, I'm podcast. I've got a pretty, pretty epic list that I go through. <laughs> um, uh, I mean, I got some stuff that's nothing too deep, like spit and chicklets, which is the, uh, hockey podcast um i like mixed martial arts i have a bunch of those uh podcasts um but some of the better ones i'm just actually scanning right now like um okay hang on a second did you just say mixed martial arts as a podcast well different podcasts around mixed martial arts i i i'm gonna have to check that out because i can't even fathom what the discussion would be other than we had this like competition and this is what we did uh well no like the sports (laughs) philosophy breakdown Uh, of the and what's going on uh okay um so like heavy hands if you are interested is a good one (laughs) i I will check that out because i'm i'm curious i like history ones a lot so like dan carlin's hardcore history or um revolutions or patrick wyman's um uh tides of history Mm. um i'm just scanning right now i like a lot of current affairs ones um there's one i really like called bombshell which is kind of niche but it's um it's these, this all-female um, group of national security advisors in the U.S. that talk about U.S. national security. <laughs> um, yeah, a pretty wide variety of them. Um, Martyr Maid's a fantastic one. Uh, thinking about books, you know, I'll, I'll say some that I think that are influential, um, that were pretty influential. One, um, it sounds kind of cliche and I'm going to get totally pigeonholed and stereotyped <laughs> for it. I'm going to laugh at you. I can tell already. But when I, I really, you know, Atlas shrugged, I appreciated. Mm. And I know that's like the 
cliche libertarian, which I'm not. Um, but, <laughs> but the reason is I found university um, a little frustrating. I found it very indoctrinating. Um, I took political science and I, you know, the lessons I learned about how to get good grades were not to have original thought, but to repeat what the prof said back. And um, that was, and there was a very clear ideology that was being pushed throughout university and I didn't agree with it. And I had a hard time articulating it. And I think sometimes my classes that felt um, lonely. So when I read that book, Atlas Shrugged, you know, I like the central theme of, you know, an individual that feels like, you know, this, uh, this is kind of making, exaggerating my case, but, you know, an individual standing up to the rest of society that is trying to in, indoctrinate them with an idea and the idea of someone pushing back against that. And I think, you know, that book I found, um, went, particularly because I read it in university, was a powerful um, book for that. Um, for me because of that. I think that's a very interesting book. I've never read and I will absolutely read it because it it was literally a discussion I was having with someone the other day about things that we are pushing the boundaries on now that the collective says no to. Um, yeah, there, there's so, a lot of groupthink in organizations such as universities that can get pushed down and that was powerful. Another one, I, I you know, it's it's fiction. Um, but was the good earth. And once I think a lot of the times when I'm saying it was an important book to me, it's the timing. Um, but I, the good earth was influential to me. It's, it's about this. I, I don't know if you've heard of it, but I think it's written in the thirties or something, but it's about the story of this um, uh, Chinese farmer and his basically his life. And I think the part I found really influential was, you know, it talked a lot about what it was like when he was, elderly and um you know watching my grandparents get older and less um mobile and stuff uh that book really resonated with me as as far as being empathetic with it like empathy i think that's the, um, yeah. as far as you know i understand that you know he, he talks about getting older and he's like you just don't want to do as much stuff like sometimes you're just you're content just sitting outside having the sun hit your face and Didn't I just say I would just totally veg out and do nothing all day today if I could? <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, it just uh, this story about like how yeah, going through the person's mindset as they got older, I, I remember that really influenced me, um, especially with kind of the situation as my grandparents were getting older, um, played with me. That's two. And was I supposed to name three books? Sure. <laughs> you could. Good. Well, if I don't have to, I, I mean, I probably could talk about more, but if, maybe we can. You don't it. have to. It's um, it's interesting. Like, I I do Audible because I I drive a lot, so I find that that's my university, or that's my that's a place that I am constantly feeding myself with books. So I've listened to a lot of nonfiction books, and I've listened to a few fictional books, um, but it's I love Audible. Yeah, I kind of, I had Audible. I gave up on it because there's so many podcasts I'm following yeah. <laughs> that like I'm already feel like I'm maxed out all the time on it. <laughs> but. Totally. Um, there is a fantastic series that was written by, and this is a fictional book. Um, I loved it. I don't know if your fiction basis for you is anything to do with fantasy or um, like where you take your fiction, but 
if and when I'm reading fiction, typically I'm looking for something that has a really great world and some interesting messages um, that the author tends to put across through the story. And I read this book series. Oh, let me let me reiterate that. I didn't read it. I swallowed it whole. <laughs> I read it like three books in two weeks. It was fantastic. And the series was written by a young author. His name's Pierce Brown. And I think he's about 28. And he conceptualized this incredible world that starts off um, post-apocalyptic. So these people are living underground and they're providing things for people who are on the surface, but supposedly there's no one on the surface or it's very, very minimal on the surface, but that's really not what's happening. And then it what's just branches out. So the series is called Red Rising. Oh yeah. I actually have a Evernote from you. Tell me that before. <laughs> oh, seriously. Yeah. So good. So uh, good. I will check it out. I mean, I like all sorts of fiction, but I, uh, I do like, like world building fiction sometimes. Um, I just finished the, uh, I just caught up to the most recent Expanse book, mm -hmm. sci-fi. Um, but I like all sorts. Of, I mean, I love Westerns. I love, uh, I like all sorts of books. Read the, read the, um, their description on that book. And I, I, I I'm just going to download it on my Kobo. I'm telling you, you're going <laughs> to love it. It's yeah. really hard not to love right away. It's really hard not to love. <sighs> Okay, so if you could do anything again, anything at all, what would you do and how would you make it different? Um, anything again? You could say nothing. Like I look back on my life and I think I would do nothing differently. <laughs> um, yeah, it's kind of hard because if you're happy with where you are. Right? Um, <laughs> that being said, you know, there's probably a lot of things, individual things I would do better. Um, you know, um, you know, being kinder to people at certain times, um, um, <laughs> being less immature sometimes. Uh, Why? So, That's so fun and playful. <laughs> well, it's not. <laughs> I, I, well, being immature isn't always being kind and playful. Um, <laughs> I've definitely, you know, been an asshole at times. Um, but you know, I could, I could pick any one of those little things, but I don't think there's any like major item where I'm like, this changed everything because of this. So um, you don't look back and go, I really regret. I, I look back and I say probably more, I'm really embarrassed by that situation, but hopefully I learned from it. <laughs> Cause that's how I look at things. I now see life experiences as just that they're lessons. So regardless of whether it was great or horrible, doesn't change the fact that it was still a lesson and it was my viewpoint that spun the great or horrible. Um, and, and I know who I am now because of that experience. So I wouldn't change a thing and I don't regret any of it. None of it. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, like I said, I don't know if I regret, but I'm definitely embarrassed by situations. <laughs> <laughs> um, and what would you say to people just starting out? How, because I'm, I'm kind of thinking along the lines of, again, you have a very positive outlook. You do. You, you have an outlook that, to be completely honest, was really hard for me to figure out how I was going to incorporate you into this podcast, because this is all about taking fears with you. And you, you tend to be 
not fearless, but you just disregard it more often than not. You just do. Like you just go out and do. So what would you say to someone who's just starting out and trying to discover themselves or, or discover yeah. how, to, how to be a better person? Um, <laughs> well, let me just caveat this by, I don't think I've got it all figured out. I'm oh, I don't think you do either. There. None of us do. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. and, um, you know, I, I, I off, we didn't really talk much about startup grind, but you know, we, when we do these interviews for startup grind, one of the things I always try to say to the speakers when I prep them is I say, don't tell people what to do because it may have worked for you but that doesn't mean it's going to work for everyone mm -hmm. and tell your story and they will pull from it. What's important to them. So, you know, I don't have a lot. Um, you know, I don't know how much I would offer for advice on that. Um, maybe the one thing or maybe the two things that I pull from just the discussion we've had that I found useful for myself mm -hmm. is one, you know, focus on strategy. Yeah. And, you know, I, I want to do more of that, but I feel like it's, man, it makes, it makes life so much easier by focusing on where you're trying to go and, and, um, keeping the end goal in mind. And then the second item, um, I'm going to interrupt you just for yeah. one sec there. So would you say, cause I'm thinking from both sides. Okay. So from business perspective, uh, from the business side, yes, that absolutely makes sense. Set your goals. But from a personal side, how do you do that? from a personal side, like from the, do you set goals every year for way. yourself? Personally? <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, what I've done before is I've outlined where do I want to be in 10 years and I try and describe what that looks like. Just from the business or no, is it from you? No, no, no. Just whole thing. What do I want to be doing? You know, what does my life look like and try and just describe what it looks like. Yeah. Um, what I want to be doing. So, you know, um, what do the you place I live in? What's the family look like? What does the finances look like? What am I doing for activities on the side? What am I, you know, I try and describe, I, I'm not that I do this all the time, but I've done it a few times and I find it helpful. In fact, I, my, <laughs> oh man, it's going to sound probably a little nerdy, but my last girlfriend, I remember that's what we did when we were trying to decide if we wanted to stick it out as we both wrote these kind of 10 year, plan out 10 years, what you want to be, and then kind of compare the two notes with each other to see, uh, if we were aligned and then, you know, you go 10 years out and then you go five. So then what does that look like five years out? And then yeah. what does that look like a year out? And, um, yeah, I mean, I still, I find that helpful. Not that I update it all the time and I don't have a regular thing, but I'd say more, I do try to every time, um, every time there things are really shifting or I have to make a big decision. I do like to try and I find it a helpful mental exercise to do a bit of that visualization. Yeah. Visualization is fantastic. Um, and one thing I didn't hear you say, and this is uh, just from the personal side is what type of person do I want to be? What do I want to do? That's going to grow me. And what does that look like? Oh man, I got to fight. I, I, I won't actually publish this, but I was, the, I was, the biggest part. <laughs> I should speaking of nerdy, I'll pull up the spreadsheet I have and I forget all the categories that I have for like things that I looked at, but <laughs> Uh, I when I think about that visualization or strategizing about what I want to be in ten years, I do have a yeah. spreadsheet. I do have a few categories that describe that. So that's fantastic. Do you? Okay, so visualization. Just speaking about that, um, 
do you just like, do you meditate? Do you, do you draw it out? Do you pull up pictures? Like, do you just close your eyes? How do you visualize? Or for you, like some people, I have vision boards. I find them extremely helpful because I see them all the time and they have the words that I want or the things that I'm trying to achieve or the person I'm trying to become. So I don't know if visualization was the right term that I was for what I was describing. <laughs> what, what I meant simply there is like, you know, just like I would do for a business strategy uh, at a personal level saying 10 years out. Yep. What, so what gonna, am I doing? You're describe, drawing it out. Okay. Describe who I am 10 years out. So everything from, you know, am I still playing hockey? Am I, do I have kids? Are you still going to play hockey? Married? Uh, I hope so. <laughs> that's, that's definitely on the list. Um, well, I have to get, yeah, anyways. <laughs> I don't want to go down the rabbit hole. But um, yeah, and then same thing for like a business is, you know, what's the business look like? How many employees are there? Um, what, what's the uh, revenue? What, what do you, like, um, uh, what am I doing in the business? Um, who are our clients? So similar thing like business or personal and then trying to trying to visualize that, what it looks like 10 years out and then backing up. Um, uh, that, that's what I meant when I was describing that. Have you ever done a vision board? No. I will say there is some power in that. Yeah, I believe it. There I mean, just power. taking time to really think about what you want to do and who you want to be. I, I, I definitely could see that. It's, it's interesting. Um, also from this perspective is you have a constant visual memory like, of what you're striving for or whatever, but they, if all of these photos or words are evoking emotions, which drive us, right? It's our emotions that drive our decisions. If I don't really want to do it because I feel shameful or bad, um, I'm not really going to do it. But my mm -hmm. actions tend to be driven by those emotions. So I want everything around me to, to heighten the emotions I want to progress myself with. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. I'm, I'm not as familiar with the vision boards, but I, I, I understand, I think, where you're coming from on that. Sometimes visual is good. Um, and I'm really curious to know, but this will be a side conversation. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I would love to see what you drew out on your five and 10 year. <laughs> I would love to see that. Um, yeah, I, could, I could probably show you it. I don't think there's anything too embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, and at some point I'll show you one of my vision boards and you'll be like, huh. <laughs> yeah. We'll judge each other. <laughs> no judging, no judging. Uh, well, I, I'm really honored that you were on the podcast and that we had such an interesting all over the place kind of discussion around perspective and how we kind of approach situations or can approach situations that may have been more fearful, but it's the way that we see it that allows us to move through it easier. I'm just, again, it just makes yeah. me think uh, very like so profoundly that conversation we had about Afghanistan when you said, but I really gained a lot of positive experience through it. And I just thought you're at war, you're in the military. How positive is that? But you took something really incredible and that's perspective. Well, thank you. And, you know, I just want to say that I think it's inspiring too, you know, what you're doing with this um, podcast and what you're doing more in general, where, um, you know, you're in a, uh, 
you decide to change careers and really focus on what you're passionate about. And I think, um, you know, I, I hope you the best of luck. And I think that's inspiring too. So thank you for doing that. Thank bringing you me on. <laughs> you're always welcome to come on, Chad. <laughs> Next okay. time we can talk about Startup Grind. Maybe some of the most interesting, inspiring stories that um, Startup Grind has experienced through the entrepreneurs that have gone through. Maybe that would be a topic. That could be an interesting one. Yeah, I'd be happy to come back. Yeah. Thanks, Actually, Andy. I'd be really curious oh. to hear that. So, <laughs> Well, let's uh, grab a beer sometime and talk about it. And then we can figure out if it's worth a podcast. I like that. I like that a lot. All right, Chad. Well, thank you so much and have yourself a fantastic week. You too. Thanks, Brandy. Bye-bye. Okay. All right, beautiful peeps. That does conclude today's episode. Next week, we are going to discuss the states of being. Higher state and lower state. I refer to it in two ways. I keep it really simple, but it's going to address a lot of the things that you experience in your life, whether you're experiencing them positively or negatively. And we're going to talk about that. So I'm pretty stoked to bring you that. Until then, my beautiful peeps. So if you are loving Fear It Goes, and I know you are, please leave us a five-star rating. And if you aren't, please leave me a message and tell me why. <laughs> leave some comments in fearitgoes.com and tell me what you want to hear. I would love for show ideas um, or guests that you would like to see or hear about come on the show. Um I, I'm literally working on the sex episodes right now. And I swear to God, we could probably do a whole podcast, not just episodes, but a whole podcast on that. There are so many interesting topics to talk about. Oh, it's going to be really fun. Um, yeah. So check out fearitgoes.com. Come leave us a message there. Come sign up for our newsletter because we have a lot of very interesting things that I am putting out on a weekly basis. I will never spam you because I know that my email box is just brutal with daily emails and I just don't have time. So I, I won't do that to you. I promise what I bring is valuable and I will not overload you with that. Um, I am also on a summit that's coming up right away. I am the closing speaker on that. It is called Mama Step Into Your Greatness Summit. So check that out, Google it, and come give her a listen. There's a lot of really great speakers talking about a lot of valuable things. I talk about setting goals, why it's important, the difference it makes, and how to do it properly. Because once you set a goal properly, your life shifts. So come check us out, feargoes.com. Go check out Mama Step Into Your Greatness um, Summit coming up right away. It's coming up next weekend. And until then, my beautiful souls, have an absolutely extraordinary week. The future will be amazing, and that's all well and good. But what about today? You can feel the rush of a 400-horsepower Nissan Z or climb to new heights in the all-terrain Nissan Frontier. Light up the road in the all-electric Nissan Aria that feels like a sci-fi dream come true. 
The future will be great, but today is made for thrill. All you have to do is get in a Nissan and drive. 2023 Aria and Z not yet available for purchase. Expected availability is this spring for 2023 Z and this fall for 2023 Aria.